Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. On today's episode we are talking with Thomas who is an incoming trainee clinical psychologist. We are talking about so many interesting things namely being a slightly older applicant and also starting studying later in life as well, following revelations in a personal life that made existential ponderings happen. It's a fascinating listen. I hope you'll find it so useful and also stay tuned right to the end for Thomas's top tips on how to reduce burnout along the way to becoming whatever psychologist you aim to be. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast. It's been my absolute pleasure to be bringing this podcast to you since December 2021 and I have no plans to stop so if you have any ideas for content you'd love to hear about please do let me know. Guests for today's episode did get in contact with me via LinkedIn and I have to say the first time I didn't see the message but he responded again in a message to something he'd heard me say in the podcast as a call out for if people had ideas and that was about the age of you compared to your supervisor and how the dynamics play out and that is absolutely something that's cropping up in today's episode and it's really fascinating stuff it's a really useful listen or watch if you're watching on youtube if you are watching on youtube please do take a moment to like to subscribe to put a comment in and to share the content if you think i think it's useful and other people might benefit too please do also come along and discuss this episode in my free Facebook group, which is the Aspiring Psychologist Community with Dr. Marianne Trent. If you are listening on Spotify or Apple, please do take a moment to rate and review. It really does mean so much. So with no further ado, let's plough on with this episode and I will catch you on the other side. So I just want to welcome along Thomas, um, an incoming trainee clinical psychologist to the podcast. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Marianne. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you for reaching out. And I'm sorry that I did miss your first LinkedIn message, but persistence definitely pays off. I am nothing if not persistent, that's for sure. <laughs> I love that. So we're going to hear about a variety of different reasons why I think that you make a great podcast guest and why our audience are going to really love what you've got to say. For anybody watching on YouTube, you might well have noticed um, that Thomas is my age. And we've also coordinated our outfits beautifully, haven't we? We've gone for the same shade of burnt orange. Um, So, yeah, you are 42. Is that right, Thomas? Yes, I am. Yeah. Fellow 81 baby, maybe. But um, <laughs> how is 40, how's 42 working out for you so far? Um, so far, it's been pretty great. Um, uh, I think uh, my 40s have so far been my best decade. Um, and I think the way it's shaping up, it's going to continue to go that way. So, yeah, I think 40 is pretty great. I'm quite glad to be here in my 40s. I know. I feel similarly, and yet it was something I was dreading. I know it's something I spoke about on the podcast recently, but I really thought it was going to all be downhill and quite depressing, and I'd feel awful and old and like my life was over. 
Yeah, I think I think in my twenties, I think well, I, I don't even think I even thought about getting to forty or what that would look like. But I think I think it was probably like quite grey, <laughs> like vis- visually in my mind. I think it was all in black and white, and it was all quite boring and sombre. Um, but it isn't; it's burnt orange instead. <laughs> I was just thinking, and interesting. Forty is burnt orange color, you know. So was it lavender and lilac is seventies and eighties, but clearly. 40s is burnt orange but I think it didn't help me that when I was 39 just before the the world ground to a halt with the pandemic my eyes packed up and I suddenly needed glasses and I was like oh god this is so depressing this is just what my 40s is going to be there's going to be one ailment after another yeah since leaving university which maybe we'll come on to because I only recently left university um yeah, I got in. I got into my job, and I started to get headaches and migraines. So hence, hence, I also now wear glasses. And the um, yeah, the per- the person who did my eye test, she did say, "Well, it's just a sign of aging." And I was like, "Oh, terrific! Here it comes. It's already here. Absolutely, here it comes. It's here. <laughs> Absolutely. I've also got a very similar pair of glasses to you as well. Sometimes we could be like twins. Burnt so orange, my manager, black, black frame my t- glasses, twins. Yeah. So it's burnt orange and kind of roundish glasses as well. It's where it's at. It's where all the cool kids hang out, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned there that you went to university a little later than probably the average listener um, would have done. Could you guide us through your steps a little bit, if that's okay? Yeah. um, So definitely older than um, the kind of typical so I, know, I I never went to university at the at the kind of typical age, um, partly because I never finished my A levels. So whoops, um, I tried tried twice um, and didn't get to the end either time. Um, so I wasn't qualified to go to university, but I I also wasn't uh, I don't know just personally, emotionally, developmentally qualified to take that either. Um, so instead, I just spent. Um, a decade and a half moving from job to job completely disparate squiggle of a of a path um so um i i was yeah that was maybe 15 years um i guess i i, I had a significant life event um in my mid 30s the kind of the kind of life event that makes you very quickly and clearly reassess what it is that you're doing why you're doing it and it kind of distills all of the the nonsense that you tell yourself um so that's what happened to me and I very quickly decided that enough was enough of not doing anything without a great deal of purpose or direction and to actually do the thing that secretly was the thing that I always wanted to do and the thing that I would always like to develop as, which is um, to be some kind of psychologist. Um, so, yeah, so I I went part-time in my job. Um, not having any A-levels was a bit of a barrier, still a barrier to university. So I, I did a, an access to higher education course, which is a kind of part-time, part-ish time uh, one-year course which is equivalent to two A-levels and I did that in psychology, sociology and social policy um, and then from that I got into my undergrad and that was in 2018 so I graduated 2021 so yeah not not the, the typical timeline definitely not. But actually you've encompassed a whole pandemic there as well so you were you were studying your undergrad during that time? Uh, yeah, it was um, epiphany term second year, wasn't it? So, um, so that's basically half, half of the degree um, and half of the experience of being at university um, was then kind of taken away from us. I, th- I think part of me actually still mourns the death of that third year in terms of the experience of it. Um, I know everyone will have their own version of, of this, but I think for, for me and, and, and maybe other people in my cohort, um, that's that was our experience of, of, of having that taken away. Um, which, yeah, I, I, 
I still wish it, it, there are things left undone, things left unsaid um, that always will be, um, which is a shame. But like I said, everyone has their own version of that in some way. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I wrote some stuff for the media about grief um, linked to the pandemic that was not to do with death and dying. And there's so many things that so many of us missed out on. And like you said, that can't be can't be undone they can't you can't get a do-over a redo on them and it's okay to be sad and to grieve for something that even though you might not have lost somebody um you know through death in the pandemic it's okay to grieve for important life events that didn't get to happen as they would have done otherwise yeah absolutely i agree um i think there's a lot to be said for the the death of a fantasy a projected death and that plays out in it plays out in my role as well, my current role, um, that I see what people imagine their future and their life is going to be um, doesn't happen. And there's a, there's a, there is, yeah, there is a, there is a struggle um, in moving from the fantasy to, to reality and, and reconciling that those, those two things are, are never going to be the same. Um, yeah. So the, there was a, a small version of that for me. Not not comparable, but a, a version, my own version. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like I want to ask you a thousand other questions about other things you've mentioned. But what I want to do before we move on is to just say, gosh, well done. Like, you know, you make it sound quite easy that you dropped down to part time and did a whole degree during the whole pandemic whilst working um, and, you know, running your own life in the background as well. But, you know, there's clearly something that really resonated with you that, made you accountable to yourself and gave you permission to take yourself seriously and to do what it was you wanted. And I think that's incredible. And, um, you know, just hats off to you for treating yourself with respect and thinking about what you want the next 40 years to look like rather than just thinking, you know, it's the, it's the sunk cost fallacy, isn't it? I don't know if you've heard that term before, but you think, well, oh, you know, I've already had 35 years of this and it's been all right. I'll just carry on as I am. But you were like, no, actually, by the time I get to the next 35, 40 years, I'd like to to think that there's been a different chunk of my life. Yeah, I, I love that reflection. And that's that's absolutely the process um, that happened in, in a, as I said, with this kind of significant life event, it. It, it happened in a very very short space of time just within just a few weeks um and in terms of the sunk cost fallacy absolutely because one of the things that i left behind was playing music and songwriting which i'd been kind of living a parallel life alongside my kind of day jobs that i didn't really care about or wasn't really developing in almost kind of intentionally because i was trying to become a professional songwriter um and I spent a long time doing that and developing it and it was part of my identity. I was really committed or I thought I was, um, I thought I enjoyed it. I thought it was good for me. And just within a few weeks, all of that, I dropped it all. I dropped the whole thing from, from who I was and what I was doing. And yeah, so in the sunk cost fallacy it was, it was this really clear period of time where every, everything became kind of HD and, it was like none of none of this is is really worth anything to me or to maybe even to anybody else um not not in the wider sense of things and it's yeah what you said about accountability is absolutely one of the the first thoughts one of the the foundational thoughts that i had was um just really simply at some point i'm going to die and it's going to be sooner than i think and i had better have more to show for it than than what I have right now and what I have right now isn't enough and if today was the last day I would be really disappointed with myself uh, so yeah really uh, insightful reflection in terms of the accountability and that's that's what it is really um, mm -hmm. and part of that process was actually leaving myself to be accountable only to myself yeah, absolutely. It's powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing that with us. And as you speak, I'm remembering my dad who died when he was 71, much sooner than we would have liked. But 
you know, his deathbed regrets, I think they're always quite interesting to think about what, what people think about on their deathbed. And his was, you know, I wish I'd worked harder in school, but yours will now not be that because you've had that sort of epiphany moment that you have been able to think about doing things differently, you know, and, you know, that's really powerful stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's been powerful enough to make me change everything that I was doing, basically, to become completely unrecognisable in the space of five years from what from what it was. So, mm. yeah, and it continues to be the driver and continues to help, I suppose. Also, like you said about looking ahead for the, the next 40 years, yeah, those, that is something that I think about and think to construct and... Um, maybe I'm building a fantasy that I have to adjust and reconcile with not achieving but um but I have I have those things laid out now whereas before I didn't not really um it's quite vague I'm 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 kind of thinking about trauma and recovery so trauma is my specialty and um I'm thinking about it being about seven years actually since you started this kind of moment of of growth and change and it's said that in seven years all of our cells will renew um and so you know even the cells on your arm are actually different than they were seven years ago and that can be a helpful thing for people to grapple with when they've been for example assaulted or hurt it's like actually the body now that you have is now different than the body that that was hurt by that person and that can be really helpful but in thinking about recovery mental health recovery i think you're you've done something really incredible and something that's going to be a real gift to people that might hear this podcast episode even in years to come that they might be in a position now that feels like they're feeling quite stuck quite trapped so i think what you've done there really beautifully is you've given hope to so many people who might be struggling at the moment who might be struggling to imagine that their life could ever be different that they could be working in a career that they enjoy that they could be looking forward to the next decades of their life not just scraping by that they can potentially enter a realm of pay and rewards that are going to be, you know, offering them and their family financial security, not just now, but in terms of pension as well. And I think, wow, what a gift for people to think how much they could turn their lives around. And, you know, you've done it. And I think that's just incredible. Again, hats off to you. Thanks. I haven't really thought about it in that way. Um, so I'll leave I'll leave that for you to... Um to say things like that don't really sit very comfortably with me the idea that I might inspire somebody um so but yeah that's maybe the middle child in me <laughs> it could well be it could well be um and I know something else you mentioned that I'd not heard of was a colorful leadership test um we're obviously both burnt orange but could you tell us a little bit about that for people that might be listening oh um so in the service I work in, we, we have two trainees, two sec we always have two second year trainees. So um, occasionally I get to kind of dip into um, some of their teaching. And uh, we were talking about, it, it was part of their, their leadership um, training. Uh, they were looking at um, four different personality types and that these personality types were kind of color coded. Um, I must preface this by saying I don't I don't know if this is like an evidence based thing or not, um, uh, but it was pretty cool regardless. And um, the 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 exercise was that there was a whole bunch of words um, put on the screen, and you have to um, really quickly, without trying to think about it too much, uh, write down the words that you think really relate to you, really really vibe with you. So. Um, so you do that really quickly. And then on the next screen, all those words are then color coded. So then you count up how many greens you have, how many reds you have, how many blues and how many yellows. And the idea is that um, whichever color you have the most of, that's your dominant kind of personality type. Uh, so mine was green, uh, which apparently most of their cohort was. So I guess I'm maybe I'm 
doing something right um, in choosing this pathway. Um, so green, green was all about kind of. So what one of one of the one of the things that, that it then splits is. So a green a green person a green personality, um, this is so squidgy, isn't it? Um, so fluffy. But the green personality on a good day, this is what they look like. So they look like they're compassionate, they're kind, they're patient. It's like okay, that's that sounds like someone who uh, could do do well as a psychologist. And then it says on a bad day, this is what they would look like. And and one of the th I mean this this was basically my take home message that on a bad day I'm bland. It actually said bland. So I was like, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a podcast, and I I really need to make sure that I, that I, that people catch me on a good day. Otherwise, this is going to be awful podcast. Oh, so I was, I mute, I was muted, right? so you couldn't hear me laughing. But I love I love that. I love that. And my kids tell me that of all of their YouTubers that they're that they're that they're a fan of, I am their I am their least favorite. <laughs> Brutal, which is just it? delightful yeah they say i should be doing videos on minecraft because they'd be much more popular <laughs> obviously yeah of course yeah. that's but, what the world needs more know, i think there's a lot of value in the bland as well i really do Re really okay um, not that i'm condoning that you're bland but what am i like on a bad day so i guess i would question the bad day aspect of it so I'm a whole person you are a whole person and there will be aspects of me some of which will be more sociable some of which will be chattier some of which need to be left alone and like to be you know like to spend time by by myself um, and it's me as a holistic person so if you catch me on a day where I don't want to chat. Then, if I see you in the supermarket, then I, I probably will hide, you know, um, because I'm just not in that mood, you know. Um, and sometimes, if I've done something really, really social for days and days on end, I just want to spend a day in bed reading my book. But that's not necessarily a bad day. That's about nourishing and respecting myself. Um, but yeah, you know, I guess some of the stuff I talk about is bland is boring unless that topic really resonates with you and over forty-two thousand people have resonated with the topics i've discussed so far so it can't be super bland and i think life is not always a roller coaster adventure is it you know you and i've had 42 years of it some you know every day at bedtime my children and i do so i've got a nine-year-old who will like me to tell you he's almost 10 and a seven-year-old. And every day at bedtime, um, I'm by mo no means a perfect parent if people are thinking, oh, gosh, he's amazing because I'm not. Um, every day at bedtime with both of them, we do a what's the favourite part of your day and what's the least favourite part of the day. But they also ask me the same question. And, you know, I get loads of lovely things from them about their favourite and their least favourite. Um, and sometimes my most favourite day is reply is just like, it was just all right. <laughs> there wasn't anything particularly good. There wasn't anything particularly bad. It was just a day. And isn't that just adulting, really? Sometimes it's a bit vanilla. Sometimes it is a bit bland. Yeah, yeah, def yeah definitely. Um... I was also thinking about, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of plateauing that goes on in life, isn't there, um, between the 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 bumps and and the troughs. Um, but I I actually like when when you said, oh, maybe it's a good thing. I did actually think, well, maybe in terms of like um, the idea of the the blank canvas therapist um, being able to, you know, kind of absorb transference. Um, there's maybe something in that um maybe another another way of looking at it um would, would be that so maybe 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 i should be um channeling my inner bland um during sessions and then i can pick up all the, all this transference so yeah maybe maybe it's my secret power my blandness but maybe just not as a podcast guest i, don't know. I really don't think you are bland but i think what's really brilliant about training and what you might well experience for yourself too 
is that you're likely to do a variety of different approaches during training. So um, in my first year, I was really into psychodynamic and that sort of I'd started to pave the way for a psychodynamic placement for placement six. Um, but my latter inter interests were much more probably humanistic and I've ended up doing CFT. So if I'd been introduced to CFT, for anyone listening that's not sure what that is, that's compassion-focused therapy, earlier in the process, I might well have done something different. But what I really like about training is you get a chance to try on different hats. So I did solution-focused, I did um, systemic, I did um, psychodynamic. And you get to see, oh, well, what happens when I when I run therapy sessions in this way, and then you get to think about which bits you like, which bits you want to keep and which bits you want to leave there and never use again. And so, you know, I would empower you to try and really get, I mean, some of it's not within your control, um, but to try and get as, as wide a variety of exposure to different therapeutic orientations on placements as you can. And that might even be when you're on placement, seeking out maybe someone that's not your supervisor to shadow some sessions with and to maybe have some ad hoc supervision sessions with to get a different understanding of what is likely to be a very similar population within your service. Because I've learned so much from people in that way. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, um, especially considering trainees are trainees they are being developed from one one side to the other and when they qualify they're at the beginning of their career as a clinical psychologist um it's not the the, the doctorate isn't isn't the end goal it's it's um the preface of the beginning um in if you want to put it like that so the idea of being trained in as broad a way as possible is something that really appeals to me it really appeals to me um about the course that I'm that I'm joining it's one of the reasons why I applied for it is that they they offer training in four different models um I'm not quite sure how I feel about CBT plus one on a lot of the courses given that trainees are not even qualified yet and um why you would narrow it down at such an early stage in people's careers um not notwithstanding the fact that you can you can then qualify and you have a whole career in which to explore different things but um personally i think the course is maybe the, the perfect time um to explore those things and i'm i've been really lucky in the service that i that i work in that i've i've been able to um experience and use adapted versions of different models um which which is which has been um yeah i should been terrifically privileged and, and fortunate um that i've had that kind of ap role um, so, for example, for, for for one client, we used CBT for the formulation stage, um, but then used CFT for the kind of intervention stage. So we kind of not not strictly, but um, and and adapted versions of of both things. But we kind of just brought in elements from CFT, uh, and I I really like I really like that in sort of integration of different ideas and, and different different models maybe that's how i'd like to develop but we'll but we'll see um again in that seven year cycle i'll probably be completely different to how i am now so um but yeah i'm looking forward to exploring that that broad range um and especially given that you know when we think about the therapeutic alliance being the biggest predictor of a positive outcome doesn't exactly render the model or the choice, it doesn't render the choice um, irrelevant, but it, it does mean that, you know, exploring different models means that you can catch one that really sort of resonates with you and you feel just is a kind of path of least resistance. I can use this, I know it, it feels right, it feels good, I'm good at it. Um, and that gives you maybe more of an opportunity to develop that therapeutic alliance and more opportunity to, to have positive outcomes, maybe, I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've become, and this isn't it. Yeah. I think let's, let's go back to your earlier point. You're, you're worthy of praise and you're allowed to say good things about yourself and you're allowed others to say good things about you. So I'm going to say something good about myself now to model that. 
Um, I'm a much better clinical psychologist now than I was when I qualified, as we are expected to be. You know, really, it's kind of thinking about the first couple of years as being preceptorship, and then really, you're fully qualified a couple of years later. You know, it's um, certainly it felt like the case for me. I've become better and better as years have gone on. But I would say that I'm now truly an integrative psychologist. And what I really love about this stage of my career um, is that, yeah, every client has a different intervention because it's bespoke for them and if something stops working or if something resonates with them in a session I will literally go right okay and there might even be a uh um as I think about that I touch my mouth I do that I do do that um and I'll look off to the right and then I'll dig into my therapeutic toolbox it's like rummaging in an old doctor's bag and I will find something that is going to be transformative for them um that's just the best job in the world I love it being able to pull across so sometimes it will be an idea from psychodynamic sometimes it will be an idea from systemic sometimes it will be something completely random that I've made up for them that will resonate because it's got, um, you know, like an analogy. So I've used um, recently, I've used the idea of, I don't know if you're a gardener, Thomas, I don't know if that's yet hit your world, but um, climbing plants will send out little shoots. Um, and I've used that to help somebody understand OCD and to help externalise that, um, to kind of think about, it desperately looking for support and reassurance and you know so it's not going to blow over in the wind but actually it's a bit of a it's a bit of a lie you know OCD it's a whole another episode but um that has been really helpful um and so I'm just excited for where you're going and for this growth explosion you're going to have and you your brain is going to basically rewire itself which is also really exciting you know we think about that happening in key areas of you know adolescence a childhood growing adolescence um, but when we also start a new job we'll suddenly often notice oh, I can't sleep very well I'm fizzed up with ideas my brain is trying to process everything but it really is an exciting period of change and growth I'm I'm really excited for you to experience that. And I hope that you find it to be a really positive experience. Um, yeah, same. And does it, does, yeah, I had a lot of thoughts when you, when you were talking through all of that. Um, I mean, I suppose I'm qu quite committed to the idea of the continuous development, the idea that I'll be a complete finished clinician at any stage isn't really, isn't really in my thoughts. So yeah, in terms of like keeping my brain ticking over from here from here on in is is re is really comforting. It's I really like it. I've plateaued a lot uh, in my working life, um, so the idea that there there may be no more plateaus is is quite is quite nice. Um, and I'm yeah, I'm I'm definitely up for that. That's that's also part of the appeal of of going into clinical psychology and. Um, I suppose go, going into a science where we're we're kind of all at the same time we're we're, we're at the, the the absolute limit of our understanding, but we're also already behind where we're going to be. Um, so, and I that really appeals to me. I'm quite comfortable. I feel quite comfortable being in that position. And I suppose mm. um, in my own development, I'm quite comfortable knowing where I am, but knowing also where I might be. Because when you're talking about um developing after qualification having the experience to integrate different models that's i'm really looking forward to being able to do that um and i've seen it of course in more experienced colleagues um and you know i do occasionally fanboy a little bit over them um but i also know that if i just keep going just keep working hard i get a bit of luck then i'll i'll get there as well eventually um so but I'm I'm quite comfortable and happy about like where I am now versus where I was, and then quite excited about where I am now versus where I I might be. Good. And yes, but and actually, yes, I do like I also do like gardening, as well. 
I have good, an allotment. Good to actually. know. So oh, how another, lovely. How an- lovely. Another uh, 40s vibe, I think, is burnt orange on an allotment. <laughs> What's so. your uh, most successful produce this year? Oh, gosh. Um, the, well, this year's been weird because July hasn't happened, basically. All the, all, all the, all the rain has been in the wrong place. The sun has been in the wrong place. Uh, the, the, the cold weather was in the wrong place. So goodness knows what it's like to be a, um, a, a plant. Um, at the the radishes haven't fared well, I believe, this year. <laughs> um, not been enough water at, at key yeah. times. Um, at the moment, I think, so my partner grows flowers. So we have lots of flowers. They're all looking good. Um, so I think maybe beetroot looks okay. Oh, nice. Um, good. Yeah. Good veg, good veg, good veg update. Thank you. Um, I I, I do think there is value in the plateau, though, and we can't keep relentlessly striving all the time um, because it's exhausting. And sometimes we do need to go to supervision and go, can't be bothered. I can't seem to make any shifts. I can't seem to make any changes. You know, I'm managing my work, but it is what it is, you know. I don't know. And I think you've got to be able to have that. But even in supervision sessions, sometimes I will learn so much um, because we should ideally always have a supervisor who's more experienced than ourselves to be able to help contain us, to be able to help shape us and to help us grow and to help us think about being able to overcome things from a different perspective than the one that we're currently feeling a bit trapped in so that our clients can can benefit from you know the safety the security the growth of you know of the supervision relationship as well and I guess I'd welcome your thoughts on that um yeah so most of what I say about five minutes after I say it I reflect and think oh it's probably not that's not that's not quite right is it that's not quite true um so that's yeah I'm a chronic ruminator a chronic reflector um, so when I said that about no, no more plateaus, I did, I did think, well, yeah, there, there will be. And there's value in the, the plateau with consolidation of what you know. Um, yeah, you can't consolidate if you're constantly learning. Um, so that I guess there has to be that, that kind of period where it all kind of settles and you become confident in, in what you've learned and what you know. Um, so, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, um, if we're constantly feeling like there's stuff to learn then we're going to constantly begin to believe that we don't know anything and we're not enough. So sometimes there has to be that feeling of mastery. Oh, yeah, I get this. And this is what I say, um, I've said before on the podcast, is that in a cohort, sometimes you will be so blown away by the experiences that people in your cohort are talking about and the, the level of comfortability that they're able to demonstrate for a particular topic and you'll be like, oh, God, I don't know anything about that. And that makes you feel quite squirmy in your tummy. It makes you feel not enough. But actually, at other times, there will be stuff that you have such a rich understanding of and such a sense of mastery in comparison to perhaps what others in the cohort will have. And that's what makes clinical psychology really special, because you've all got to the start line but with very different skills, experiences and abilities. And I think that's very, very special. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I completely subscribe to the idea that everybody knows something you don't. And that is why no one ever achieves anything completely by themselves in a vacuum. I don't think any human has ever achieved something without any input from someone else. Every supervisor I've ever had, every client I've ever had, comes with me to and teachers and stuff comes with me throughout my career and it's not just me and my determination there's a whole host of luck as well that's happened along the way that's got me to being the professional and the person that I am yeah the the two supervisors I've had live rent-free in my head definitely um and I've been I've been really lucky to have two very different supervisors at two very different points in their career so my my first super, so i've been i've been an ap for just just under two years um so roughly speaking the first year was with a supervisor of 40 years experience um seen it all done it all um was 
very um i thought just brilliant wonderful person um and quite psychodynamic psychodynamically minded so supervision was very open free form no agenda no structure um and we would often talk about growing flowers as well um and then my new supervisor uh, was newly qualified um on a preceptorship so part of their training towards band eight uh, was to have a supervisee and i was that i was that supervisee so it was their first experience of being a clinical psychologist their first um supervisor their, their first role as a supervisor and um whereas my first supervisor um was approaching retirement um, my new supervisor just qualified and although i don't know how old they are they are definitely a lot younger than me maybe 10 ish years younger than me maybe a little bit more um and that's something that we talked about early on in terms of how i, I felt about that which for the record was absolutely fine um my age doesn't I, i'm not like uh i don't feel any kind of ego about my age or any, anything like that i deferred to their role their qualification their level of experience and um expertise um but also we talked about how they felt about having a significantly younger supervisor uh, supervisee and even potentially the idea that that they may never have in the, the rest of their career a supervisee who is 10 or more years older than them and i guess the older that they get the, the less likely that will be you know when they're 50 it's even more unlikely that um their supervisee will be in their 60s um so yeah we we discussed that and that's i mean it hasn't created any barriers i don't think um but it's i think partly has maybe maybe we could talk about age as power in terms of the social graces um because there have been occasions i think where there's been a two-way um a two two-way relationship in terms of learning and maybe even driving particular things um where where whereby i've kind of felt as a team we're not doing this and we should be and i've been the one to kind of lead it um but then again my my current supervisor um is a believer in kind of collective leadership um so it's also there's also been that space for me to do that it's not just simply because i'm old and i'm like well i know better um because that just isn't the case yeah and i think you absolutely can get assertive and great leaders from a young age but it's something that i've developed as i've aged and my confidence for being able to just observe stop think and suggest and intervene and um you know i'm very much less likely to put up with any kind of social injustice or you know um, inequality in the team or if I think that something's not happening that should be happening I'm very much more likely to, to advocate for that now and I think it's just my age and my experience that has allowed that to happen but of course like I said there are younger people who've who've got there much quicker than I have I'm just conscious um, for those of you who don't know I am still a practicing clinician so I've got I do see a clinical caseload I'm just conscious of time because um, I've got a clinical session very shortly but before we finish I'd really love to know what your top tips are for reducing burnout um, in in this career of ours Tom Oof. Um, so I I think that partly because of my age and knowing that time passes quite quickly so there's no need to rush it's going to happen that kind of helps me not have my foot too hard on the pedal to begin with um and they, again I think through age and experience that's that's a skill that I've learned uh to kind of not throw throw all of myself in into something so that's not to say that I don't throw myself into this career, but I'm maybe, you know, it's maybe like eight out of 10. My foot is eight out of 10 on the pedal. That's a really bad way of putting it. But if you get my meaning, um, because this isn't sustainable. So I guess in reality, what that means is 
uh, well, just referring back to what you said earlier, there are days when I just can't be bothered. I love my job. I love my colleagues. I love the clients that I work for. Um, in fact, it's maybe the first, no, it's the first time I've loved my job. And, the, and in spite of that, there are still days when I just cannot be bothered. And there are clients that I've struggled to really engage with and engage with the work. Uh, so when that happens, it's fine. Just sink into it and let it let it pass and just give yourself a break. And also when it's time to go home, I go home. And at the weekend, I don't, I don't think about my job and I don't think about it at night. I guess I have a good work-life balance. I suppose that's a really simple way of putting it. Um, but on the Monday morning, I haven't thought about what we talked about on Friday in supervision. It just hasn't crossed my mind. Um, sometimes it does. That's not, it's not black and white, but generally speaking, I, I managed to, to just leave it inside my shut laptop on a Friday. Good. Um, but Perfect I don't know how, advice. don't know how that's developed really. Maybe just, I think it's containment. Boundaries. Yeah. Containment. It says as you grow, you just get better at doing that, I think. And it's really important to develop and cultivate as a skill and to know that you don't not care about your clients because you're not thinking about them, but you deserve to have your life and the, the two are separate. And I was thinking, I love the analogy about the pedal to the metal. You know, when you are driving with, or even if you're walking past somebody that is doing 10 out of 10 pedal to the metal, it's distressing it's inconvenient, you know, it makes you go, oh, it's exhausting. And so whilst you might think you need to be relentless all the time, it's really not nice in a team if someone is doing that, you know, and I've absolutely been relentless at points in my career that have probably been quite hard to be around because I'm like, this service needs a shorter way to list and I'm going to show you that we're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing it because these clients deserve a better service. And I'm sure that was difficult for my colleagues at times because I was like, productivity, it's accountability, 50% face-to-face, you know, I can do it, we can all do it, let's get it done, let's get these clients yeah. to have a better experience. But if you do that all the time, you're not going to be very well liked and you're going to burn out. And, you know, ultimately, you're not going to be any use to the service or the clients that you so badly want to support. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose to complete the analogy, you know, the, the more revs you use, the more petrol you burn. Oh, you certainly do. And on that note, Tom, I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to go, but it's been the biggest pleasure speaking with you and wishing you so well for these next three years and beyond. And if you want to come back on the podcast at any stage, give me a shout. And, you know, I'm here for you if you need any containment or advice. Um, feel free to slip into my DMs. Thanks. Um, thanks for having me, Marianne. It's been um, a, a privilege to come on and, and just just chat randomly and um thank you to uh, everyone who's listened uh, i hope it wasn't bland it was not bland it was vibrant and Excellent. burnt orange and may your beetroots flourish <laughs> yes exactly what a great note to finish on <laughs> thank you so much gosh what an absolute pleasure to speak with thomas and i really wish him all the best with these next coming months and years You'll be pleased to know I did make my client session on time. But yeah, I really am a practicing clinician. I hold a clinical caseload as well as running all of these bits and pieces for you guys in the aspiring psychologist community. And if you would like to come closer into my world, do check out the details for the Aspiring Psychologist Membership, which you can find in the show notes or in the description or in the bio link any of my social channels. I'm Dr. Marianne Trent everywhere. Come and find me, come and follow me, come and connect with me and let me know what content it is that you would really value and I will look forward to offering that to you. Don't forget we've got compassionate Q&A dates coming up for the application season. The first of those is on Monday the 4th of September 2023 at 6pm. The second of those is Tuesday the 3rd of October 2023 at 6pm. The third is Tuesday the 7th of November 2023 at 6pm. They're all available for free, streamed via my social channels and will be available on replay as well. The best place to catch the replay is on Dr. Marianne Trent YouTube. Come and follow me there, come and subscribe and you can also check out my previous playlists there too. 
Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode or watching it, depending on what you are doing. And I will look forward to providing more great content for you when we next get together, which will be from 6am on Monday for the next episode of the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. Thank you so much for being part of my world and do be kind to yourself. Take care. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hello, my name is Veronica Kasova. I live in Edinburgh and I just graduated with a Master's in Psychology of Mental Health. Marion recommended me the Clinical Psychologist Collective when I was networking on LinkedIn and I must say I love it. Um, it is one of a kind. It's like a window into the lives of people on the path of becoming a psychologist. The stories are unique, honest and filled with a kind of intangible wisdom only personal storytelling can uncover. A common thread in the stories I valued most was to be compassionate not only with others, but with myself too. Also, not fixating on becoming a psychologist, but enjoying life, growth, and the final results will come as a byproduct. Marianne, thank you for taking the time to collate all the stories. The book is a true gem, and I think every aspiring psychologist should have a copy on their shelf. Thank you.